Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. And God, we thank you that we can understand your ways through the gospel and through your word. And we pray that you'd help us to take the next step in our life, in our hearts, and our focus towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So what we're talking about today, it's in uh, a few of the campuses, so we're all speaking about the same thing. We're talking about For the One with a capital O. For the One. Someone say, For the One. And when we understand this, we realize that God has called us to live for one person and express that through our love for humanity. When we think of the world that we live in today, there are two general perspectives that we could have. And the Bible addresses this, but it's right in front of us every day when we're bombarded with advertisements and uh, all the paraphernalia and, and pressure from different places to be consumers. And so the perspective we could have in life is either to live a life of consumerism, to live just for yourself, or to live your life as someone spent for others, for the sake of others, for the glory of the one. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I remember my pastor preached on this once, just one sentence. He preached the whole field in Tennessee. And when John got up to preach, he talked about being spent or living for Christ, living in a way that's going to make a difference for this generation. And these are some of the words he said. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you do have to know the few great things that matter and then be willing to live for them and die for them. Then he's continuing to talk. He pastors a church. He said, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliasson and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80 years old, single all her life. She poured out her life for one great thing, to make Jesus known among the unreached in Cameroon, amongst the poor, the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old as well, and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. They were driving their car, the brakes gave way, over the cliff they went, and they're gone, killed instantly. And I asked my people, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great vision spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Christ. Two decades after almost all of their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on trifles in Florida or New Mexico. No, that is not a tragedy. Their life is a glory. I'll tell you what a tragedy is, he continues. I'm going to read to you from the Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny, 
They took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. Bob was 59, Penny was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot yacht, playing softball and collecting shells. That's a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I got 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shelves as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a nice swing, you know, golf, and look at my boat. Don't waste your life, he ends it. Don't waste it. His words sparked a movement being led by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is now called the Passion Generation, and is responsible for the Passion Conference, where every year close to 65,000 young adults worship, study the word, and lift up the name of Jesus. Wow. And so what does the Word of God teach us? We just did communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read this almost every week. Paul said, I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he gave thanks and he broke it, broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so first we see, in the night he was betrayed, he wasn't thinking of himself or his betrayal. He said, This body is for you. Incredible. He didn't just give of his substance, he gave himself. He said, this body is for you. It's not for me. If it was for me, I wouldn't have got crucified. I wouldn't have let evil men do what they were about to do. I wouldn't let them put a crown of thorns. I wouldn't let them stick me with a spear. I wouldn't let them nail my feet and my hands. I wouldn't let them spit on me and mock me and strip off my clothes. He said, no, this body's for you. It's not for me. But here's what he said. He said as, wow, he said as often as you do this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death, meaning it's a way of preaching the gospel, but he's not just talking about taking an emblem. He's not just talking about our first communion. He's not just talking about what we do every week, as important as that is. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Then he said, do this. Do what? He was about to go to the cross. The bread stood for crucifixion, breaking of body. He's saying, do this, meaning if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to live your life for me and give yourself, and take up your cross. That's the deeper meaning of that. It wasn't just take communion. I took communion every week as a kid, but I didn't even know who Jesus was. 
And if I did, I'd certainly live for him. And so when he was looking at the bread, he said, this is for you. And then he said, do this, meaning what I'm about to do, how I'm about to end my life, I want you to do that. And that's why he said, if anyone would follow me, he's to sing worship songs on Sunday. Can you shout amen? Is that what it said? If anyone's to follow me, they'd shout amen. They'd listen to good preaching. He said, if anyone is to follow me, let him take up his cross. For he who would love his life will lose it. And that could be on a golf course every day. Or he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. The question is, who are you living for? Just because you come to church on Sunday doesn't mean you're living for God. Just because I'm preaching right now doesn't mean I'm living for God. It's an attitude of the heart of a life lived that is a lifestyle, not an event. It's how we live, not what we do on Sunday. And so, he said, this life is for you, this body is for you, of course, resulting in our salvation and our healing. It's interesting how it took all of who Jesus was to bring us to all of who we are today. Imagine if he said, let me just go in a coma, but I don't want to die. Or let him just beat me a few minutes, but that's it. What would have happened to us if he only gave 25% and not himself? But furthermore, what will happen to us if we don't give ourselves fully to the gospel? What's going to happen to our neighbor? What's going to happen to the world? Can you imagine a church of 500 people fully submitted, sold out to God, giving their time, their treasures, and their talent for the one? Imagine, someone say, for the one. Imagine what would happen if we all took this sermon serious. The kind of transformation that would not only take place in our lives, but what about our spouse if we're married or our children or our neighbors? Imagine what would happen. In the second epistle that he wrote to this church, he brings out incredible points that I wish I had more time to bring out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he is talking about uh, giving an offering to poor Christians that are living in Jerusalem and living in Macedonia and different places. And he's raising up this money, and this is what he says in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says the point is this. Now he be, begins to bring out universal ethical laws. We have moral laws as well as natural laws. Same way we have the law of gravity. If I jump up, I'm definitely going to come down. But there's also moral and spiritual laws. And this is what Paul is bringing out. He said whoever sows, now he's talking to people who understand farming. So whoever sows, he's talking about seed sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully or a lot, abundantly. Each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here he's talking about finances. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And then he says in verse 10, For he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so he's saying that life is like the law of sowing and reaping. You always get back according to the level of sacrifice you put into it, commensurate to what you've given into it. So it's not just farming, it's everything. If you love a lot, you're going to get love back. If you love a little, you get a, lo a little bit of love back. If you forgive a little, you only get back forgiveness a little bit. If you forgive a lot, you're going to get a lot of forgiveness back. If you use your time wisely, you're going to maximize your life. If you lose your, use your time foolishly, you're going to waste your life. If you sow financially, abundantly, the way God has commanded, God says, I'm going to give you back. And then, this is what he says. This is a profound, I mean, this is something most people don't look at. Verse 10, he says, he who supplies seed to the sower. Meaning, if you're faithful with sowing your life, or your time, or your talent, or your money, if you're faithful in giving God what he requires, your seed, then he says he supplies seed back to you. He supplies seed to the sower, not to the one who hoards, not to the one who just saves, not to the one who keeps for himself. There's a certain amount of our time, certain amount of our talent and treasure he expects us to sow directly and forthrightly into his service and his kingdom. And here he's talking about finances, and so he's saying he supplies seed to the sower. That means there are some things God will not supply to you if you hold back financially. There are some things God will not supply because he says he will only supply seed to the sower. So to the extent that you're holding back from God's kingdom financially, to that extent, will God hold back from you? I'm not making this up. This is the same Bible. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whoever believes in him should not perish. We can't cherry pick what we believe is true in the Bible. You can't say, well, I love God so loved the world because he loves me. Hey, oh, yes. That passage, I, I received that. But, no, oh, he gives seed to the soul. I don't receive that. That's... That's a prosperity gospel. That's not for me. Really? I guess Paul was a prosperity preacher if that's the prosperity gospel. I guess Jesus was too because he said, Give and it shall be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give back to you. No, prosperity gospel is 
when they take and distort the Word of God for self-greed. And it's actually another version of living for yourself, the consumer gospel. It means you use God just to receive back for yourself. What we're talking about is sowing a life for Christ. We're not talking about using God. We're talking about serving God. Big difference between this and the prosperity gospel. It's either being a consumer or being a real Christian. And a lot of what is shown to be true Christianity is really just consumerism with the things that we have seen in this country and what we've seen preached. And the reason why people come to church, they come just to get, to get, to get. But as you mature, it should be reversed. I come to give. It's okay for new Christians to come to get. You got to reach a certain point, you come to give. To give love, give hugs, give finances, to give time, treasure. Matter of fact, I have found, and I've been doing this thing for over 40 years, that a new Christian will stop growing after about six months to a year if they don't volunteer and start serving. Because like Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. It's not to get fed just through preaching. People run from church to church to hear the best message, to get a prophetic word. You don't understand. After a certain point of your life, you stop growing if all you're doing is sitting and hearing the word. James says it's not the hearer of the word, but the doer who will be blessed in his deeds. And so I could guarantee, I could tell who's going to grow the most. Those who are volunteering, those who are giving their life, those who are putting the Word of God into practice, those are the ones who will grow. The first thing Paul said after he was converted, after he saw Jesus is, oh Lord, bless me. No, he said, what shall you want me to do, Lord? First words out of Paul's mouth after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. What do you want me to do? And so God supplies seed to the sower. So there's a certain lack in our life because maybe we're not, we're trying to eat our seed instead of sowing it. If a farmer eats his seed, he's shooting himself in the foot. Oh, I'm hungry. I can't sow this. Well, you're hurting your future harvest. We ought to eat our bread, but not our seed. There's a certain amount that God has allotted for us to live off of. He commands at least 10% for himself, tithes and offerings, tithes 10%. But even the other portion, we should still live for him. But in living for him, there is parts of it that is called bread. That is for us. If you sow bread, nothing's going to happen. Only if you sow seed. You have to determine besides the tithe and the offering that is obvious. What is the seed that God has called you to sow and not to keep? If you keep it, you're hurting future blessings because God supplies seed to the sower. He wants us, now listen to this. You don't hear anything else. He wants every one of us 
to be a divine repository of blessing. He just wants us to be a conduit. He wants us to be his treasurer on the earth. He just wants us to hold it in stewardship, and he will give us the most if he could trust us to do what he says. The ones that do what God says to do with their time, with their treasure, and their talent will never have a lack because God is not stupid. He knows that he could trust you to surrender to him and to give what you're supposed to give. And if he sees that you're giving of your seed, he's going to keep giving you more and more and more seed. And the afterthought is, yeah, you'll probably have more bread too to enjoy your life. Why? Because you're not looking for that. You're seeking first the kingdom. See, when you're looking to live to be happy, you will be the most miserable person on the earth. But when you live for the sake of the one and you're not living for your own happiness, you'll have more happiness than the one seeking happiness. You'll have more joy because the fully surrendered life is the only life that has joy. And you can enjoy everything that comes your way a lot more than the ones who are constantly striving to make themselves happy. Striving to feel some kind of level of fulfillment. So God supplies seed to the sower. Wow. Are you giving your seed or trying to eat it? He says that he wants us to be an expression of his benevolence. And that's why he said that he will increase the harvest of our righteousness. And then, he loved, I love this, you will be enriched in every way, not just financially, in every way. For what? So you could be generous in every way. God has called us to, to be a living body of generosity as a church and as individuals. Giving, sowing, loving, sacrificing. Imagine a church collectively being a constant divine expression of his love and generosity. And then he ends it by saying, for the ministry of this service, meaning giving financially, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in thanksgiving to God. Isn't that amazing? How people don't just know God. People don't just get exposed to God through his word and through preaching. They get to know God through your love and generosity. It results in thanksgiving to God, meaning they get to know a facet of God. They wouldn't have known if you didn't give them that money, if you didn't give them that time, if you didn't give them that love. People get to know God through a generous church, not, through, not merely through great preaching. Who? I never heard that one before. That's a Holy Ghost illumination. Somebody tweeted so I don't forget it. They don't know God. The world doesn't know God just through great preaching or nice worship, but through a generous, loving church. It's a part of God that can never be known without flesh and blood. You all know that Jesus 
became flesh. That's called the incarnation. When he was born of the Virgin Mary, that's called the incarnation. Do you know the incarnation has continued for the last 2,000 years through the church? The church is his body. He's the head, we're the neck down. We are the visible manifestation of the invisible Christ. When we are stingy, people think God is stingy. When we're stingy, people think, well, maybe God doesn't really love me. Or maybe this God thing isn't really true. How many atheists, how many unbelievers, how many people have been loved into the kingdom, not just through a track or church services, but through true love. When we humanize people, get in their world and pour ourselves into them. That is the bridge. One last passage I'll share. In Romans 12, Paul writing another letter, this time to the um, Roman church. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, the same understanding, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Wow. Not money. Not the animal sacrifice that they were used to, because that's something other than you. He's making it close now. God is asking or commanding our life to be the sacrifice on the altar. This alone is holy and acceptable. This alone is spiritual worship. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so what he's saying here is, don't be conformed to the world. The world tells you, hoard all your money, all your time. Give the best years of your life in a retirement place so you can play golf every day. See, this is psychological warfare. It's a mindset. What is being conformed to the world? Well, according to the context, it's the opposite of what Paul said. Paul said, give yourself. Somebody say, give yourself. Give yourself. Sacrifice yourself. Give your body as the sacrifice and then he says, don't be conformed to the world. The world says, don't offer your body. Give God a little meager, a bag of shells here and there. Give God a little bit of your time. Show up for church on Sunday once in a while. Drop a $5 bill in the offering once in a while. Well, my friend, if you live like that, you already are conforming to the world. What God is saying is, I want you, not just your money, not just your time, not just your talent. I want all of you. I don't want second best. I don't allow other gods before me. The greatest sin in the Bible, believe it or not, 
even worse than murder and adultery, is idolatry. It's loving, cherishing, honoring, and putting any other being or any other thing, including a hobby, before God. That is the worst sin, idolatry. We are either idolaters or worshipers of Christ. We worship with our life, not just our words. So as I wrap this up here, we live in a world that is constantly bombarding our lives with advertisements for us to purchase a product that has no eternal value. Even think about something as simple as toothpaste. How many brands of toothpaste and sexy women on television do you need to see to choose which toothpaste? They're all fighting for you to buy their product of toothpaste. They make it seem like if you buy their toothpaste, you reach the ultimate in life. Solves all your problems, right? But what about streaming services? It's about watching the latest movie. It's about uh, constantly spending time entertained. America paints the idea of an American dream that it's all about the accumulation of possessions and wealth and happiness. But the gospel lays out an eternal reality that we are not to be consumed with stuff, but we're to live our life a living sacrifice for the sake of the one. Which one will you be today? What are the next steps? Two very simple steps. Financial giving. We're asking you that if this is your church family to give generously to the mission and vision of this church, starting with our tithe and offering. The church has been built on sacrificial giving over the years, and that's how we're still here almost 38 years later. It's because of you, people like you. Number two, service or volunteerism. Every one of us have a gifting or talent that can be used for the kingdom of God. We're asking everyone to consider how they might serve in this church. As you're leaving today, there'll be handouts given to every person to apply to sign up in every area of need that we have. Please take a moment to fill these things out. We also have something we're giving out for Hope Arises uh, tent meeting. We're also giving out the schedule for fasting and prayer. We only got one shot at this. My friends, life is not a test run. You can't live your life, regret it, and ask God to let you live it again. There's no test run. This is all you got. It's the only shot you have. Why don't you give your best? for something eternal. Let's all stand up as we 
give glory to the one and worship him. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.